Canuck Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah with you from the Kintech studio. Canuck Central, a presentation of Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. It is a game day as the Canucks are still looking for their first win of the season. 0-3-1 to start. We all know it. We've lived through it. The history that's been made. But here's what I know, Sat. Facts only. Friday morning, uh, one of the Vancouver Canucks or Minnesota Wild will uh, wake up with their first win of the season. Huge, if true. Yep. Yep. <laughs> could the Canucks be one of those two teams? Well, they could. They, well, they could. I don't know if they have a 50-50% chance of coming away with the win, but they certainly have a chance. So uh, we'll see. I mean, does it feel like if they don't get the win that the season is essentially over? Is, oh, that, is that kind of the impending doom? I, I, I can't be there happen? yet no. five games into the season. <laughs> yeah. But I, mean, I can't hey, do that. But uh, you know what it's done is uh, the, this historically bad start to the season, a historically bad four-game stretch at any point in a season as the yeah. Canucks, as we have outlined extensively here on these airwaves. Um, well, it, it had the uh, president of the organization speaking. And you know how we talk about... Um, giving a uh an endorsement to somebody yep. right or 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 you, you wanting wanting somebody to be accountable and talk about how things are going bad well usually you don't want to have that happen after four games so yep. again the canucks had a player only meeting <laughs> three games into the season they had uh they benched carter garland they backskated them before back to back and we have the president out making the rounds before the fifth game of the season. So so that's just, you know, how the season is going. They had a players-only meeting uh, after their third game of the season. <laughs> is that good? No, not usually, as the coach said. As Boudreau himself mentioned. The president having to come out and uh, give an availability to Ian McIntyre, that sort of tells you everything you need to know. You don't need or want the president of your hockey club coming out four games into the season to do a uh, calm the waters, this is a now crisis situation sort of discussion Yeah, with the lead reporter at, at Sportsnet and Ian McIntyre. I mean, that's the, the fact that this is happening and, and sort of the rhetoric that's coming out of it too, and we're going to go through some of the quotes – it tells you all you need to know about how the start of this season has gone for the Vancouver Canucks, if the record hasn't already told you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been a rough start to the season. Now, as far as what Rutherford had to say, yeah, um, it, it's interesting. The tone he took, and you know, you mentioned in uh, McIntyre's article, I know Dolly Wall also spoke to Rutherford and had some quotes that made the round. So, so I know they felt Rutherford, like they were the same quotes almost. <laughs> pretty much, you know, he he had he had a message he wanted to get out, right? Yeah. And and he he stayed to message when speaking to members of the media yesterday. And I think the big takeaway is pump the brakes. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what he said, which is which I think is the right message here, and it's what we talked about. There's not much you can do at this point. Maybe no. you get to a stage where things are so bad, you have to force some sort of a change somewhere in the organization, on the ice or in, behind the bench or something, but you're not there yet. And for as much pressure and for as hard and bad as everything is right now, you're really stuck in a position where you can't really do anything either. It's, um, you know, there's a couple of things here that really stood out to me. Okay. You have no other choice. <laughs> You're trying to calm the situation down and hope 
that this works going into your first home game of the season on Saturday against the Buffalo Sabres. But on the giveaways and giving up the leads, nobody likes to lose, but don't give the game away. Make the other team take it from you. We've had too much of giving the game back instead of the opposing Mm -hmm. team earning it back. He goes on to say, but I'm not totally surprised at what's happening. I've talked about this since I came to Vancouver and what I've seen with this team. We have good players here, but how do you become a winning team? It's about playing the game the right way and playing with good habits. That is a quote from President Jim Rutherford. Yeah, and what did we talk about so much throughout the preseason and the regular season? I mean, it's it's everything we've been talking about on this show. Your habits. habits have to be better. Why aren't you exhibiting those things earlier in the preseason? And if you're not showing these things yet, you're not going to get off to a good start, and now you're not off to a good start. And how many times did I say, I can't imagine people in the organization are impressed by what they're seeing? If I'm sitting here and, and seeing this stuff and being like, okay, I, this isn't this isn't good enough, and I'm a, some dude in the media. You don't think you don't think the people in the organization saw it, and as for as much as people are like, hey, pump the brakes. It's only preseason. There's certain things about establishing habits that you have to do no matter what. They're non-negotiable no matter what time in the year you're in. And it's not about winning games. It's not about you know going all out. It's about establishing who you are and what things you're doing to win. And it's clear from day one of the preseason, yeah, they weren't ready to do those well, to do those things. What's hard to separate about this set though is okay. Here's Jim Rutherford, who's been kind of saying this since. January, February of last year when he first started to get an inkling of what he had with this Vancouver Canucks team. And here we are in October. He started his first full season with the club, went through the full offseason, didn't change much, actually added a couple of pieces, committed to one of his star players, and is preaching the same things about, hey, this team doesn't know how to win. Mm -hmm. Like, something doesn't add up here. Like, one, you've not significantly changed this roster. You've stayed with it despite all of these critiques that you've made about it. Is there just a belief that these players will start to show the good habits that Jim Rutherford understands and knows what needs, what he needs to see because he's coached or sorry, he's guided a couple of Stanley cup winning rosters. Yeah. You know, is that what this is, that he believes this can be coached into these players? Or is there that shoe to drop still of the significant change on this roster that does start to, well, then where where you start to see the stamp that Alvin and Rutherford put on it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think what have we seen with young players throughout you know, the years and in different teams in different situations. Have we not seen players mature? They learn it, yeah. How many times do people talk about Nazem Qadri, for instance? Okay, but like... I, no, I'm just giving an example. I'm yeah. just giving an example. How many times do we see something like Nazem Qadri, a guy that like, this guy's never going to be able to figure it out in the playoffs, too hot, too immature, yada, yada, yeah. yada. He figured it out. So there is such a thing as figuring it out. There is such a thing as a young group coming together. We've seen young teams or... I'm not saying these guys are as young as they seem. I know the actual age curve of the team isn't as old as people make it out to be, but Kadri got traded to get to figure it out. Yeah, though. fair enough. But we've also seen other teams, whether it's Colorado who stubbed their toes for a couple of years, big time in the postseason. Washington. They got run. You know, it took a while, but they figured it out, and all of a sudden, you know, they became champions. So we've seen that before. But how do you improve year to year? 
Yeah. You know, like it's it's one thing to see those things. It's another thing to see you repeat the same mistakes year in and year out and how you're evolving and getting better. And the reason why it's concerning right now is because they haven't been Sad, getting it's better. It's the third consecutive year where we 100%. start, start like the, the season has started the exact same way. It's on repeat. It's just how they lose the games is a little bit different. Absolutely. But they're still doing a lot of the same things that lead to them losing hockey games. Absolutely. And now we have to see if they can get out of this or not. Or do they need another intervention for them to get their, you know ass in order here yeah it's like it it just doesn't compute that you're saying okay uh i'm not totally surprised by what's happening but also you committed 56 million dollars to jt miller who's been one of the bigger culprits of this in the first four games um i can see how a lot of people in the fan base are saying okay you essentially committed to this roster or you did not do a lot to change it. It feels like you bought into the 105 point pace team that we saw under Boudreaux and are continuing on with it, adding to it to see where it goes from here. Right. And now you're saying you're not totally surprised by the fact that they're blowing leads in hockey games. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that's what does not compute. And that's where I can understand Canucks fans today are like, what do you mean? You're not surprised by this. Yeah. I thought, I thought you thought this was a playoff team. We just heard you guys all talking about how this is going to be a playoff team this year. No, I, and I think, so if you know, Hey, we didn't speak to Jim and yeah. we don't, you know, I don't know the exact context. What it seemed like to me, what he meant was I'm not surprised we're off to this start. Mm-hmm because of the things we need to figure out and the things that we saw before. The things we saw to... in preseason too. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's what he meant more than anything. Not that, oh, I'm not surprised that, yeah, I'm, I, I never thought this team was going to be good to begin with. But the other thing to keep in mind is he himself has said numerous times they wanted to do more than they were able to do. Yeah. Now, ultimately, your job is to get it done. We talk about players on the ice having to get it done. That's your job. And your job as a manager is to get it done. They haven't been on the the job for that long, so you have to give them some time to see, you know, what other moves they can do, and can they figure out some some problems on this team? But it's clear this team has flaws, and the biggest problem they had was their lack of preparation heading into the season again. Now we had Kevin Woodley on yesterday, and he made an excellent point talking about how this team had to start this season on the road because the renovations ran into the beginning of the season. They don't have a dedicated practice rink. They got to get on a bus and go to UBC and then get back and all that sort of stuff. And Hey, listen, you can quiet. You can, you can laugh at that and say, I do worse going to work and all that sort of stuff. When we're talking about trying to get an edge in the NHL now and trying to be at your best and giving your team the best chance to have success and, and finding every advantage you can. Well, these are things that don't necessarily help you. So how much is the organization culpable here? And I think it's a fair point. I don't know how much of that you would put on the, the slow, how much of that would you would, how much blame you would assign to that, to the slow start, a percent, 2%, 3%, whatever it is. But have you done everything humanly possible to get off to a good start this season? And so far, the answer is no. It's, um, it, it's tough to see how this has all started. It is only four games, but... The whole it's early thing can get out of hand quickly. We know that. We saw it last year. And if you think about you know where the Canucks are at, they've got Minnesota here on this Thursday. Then they come home to Buffalo, who's off to a pretty good start. And it's been a team that the Canucks struggled with last season because of their speed. The Carolina Hurricanes are no slouch. We know that. They're still undefeated this year. They're the next up on Monday at Rogers Arena. You know, like the schedule is not 
getting any easier for the Vancouver Canucks once they come back from this road trip. And so you start to see that they really need wins and they really need them quickly. Uh, This from Jim Rutherford was also interesting. And it's uh, on whether or not, uh, you know, the changes part of this, right? Um, (laughs) Ian McIntyre kind of asked him, you know, how long can they keep believing before making changes? I don't want to put any certain time on it, but I don't think judging where a team is after a five-game road trip would be fair. We just have to build in the right direction. So, as you've been saying Mm -hmm. all week, Sat, for as much talk and as much wonder if the Canucks are going to make some kind of trigger reaction to the way the team has started, change is not on the horizon just yet for this group. No, I mean... What are you going to do? You're going to go make a bad trade because yeah. you're upset about the start? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. You're going to fire the coach after four games? And then pay pay another guy to come in and help out a group of players who haven't been able to figure this out for years now? I mean, hey, listen, uh, how much does it matter to make money the rest of the year and have a building be full? That's a lot of money on the table, and you can never discount that. So that's why I always say, hey, things can always get bad enough that it becomes a business decision. You know, it's like, yeah. hey— we got 41 home games to go. I mean, the Canucks haven't played a single home game yet. No, they, they have haven't. 41 home games to go. Yeah, you got season ticket base, but you still got to sell tickets and sell interest. Yes. You know, and those things do matter for the brand. So things can't go on like this indefinitely. But as we sit here today, there, there isn't anything they can do. I mean, look at their roster. Yeah. Who's the most valuable player that's potentially tradable? Is it Bo, it's Bo Horvat. It's Bo Horvat. Yeah. Right. And is that an easy trade to make? No. So, like, what are you going to do? And as far as anybody else on the fringes of your roster, you're not getting anything for half these guys. Nobody no. wants to take on money right now. You're going to trade Niels Hoaglander. Maybe that's a trade, right? Maybe yeah. it's Niels Hoaglander. Maybe they trade Niels Hoaglander somewhere for another young player, and that's a trade you make. But really, is that going to shake up the roster? No. Oh, God, you traded Hoaglander. We got to get her. We really got to figure it no, out it's, now. It's got to be a move of this core. And, so you know, somebody on the core has got to get moved eventually. And you know, that is something that's going to be complicated to do as long as they want to get value back. Yeah. The Canucks don't have that many tradable assets that have value to begin with. And whatever they are going to trade, they want to get something back in return for. They already have to shed a second-round pick. We look at the prospects they lack coming up through the system. Not a ton of defensemen. Some some nice depth guys, like Myron Burke has potential. Elias Pettersson has the potential. There's some guys, obviously, that you know are interesting. There's no real center coming. Nope. Damian Gardner maybe is your your best bet. <laughs> and he's a ways away. Yeah. So how are you going to add those things outside of the draft? You're going to have to be able to make a couple of good trades. And you have a you have a few pieces that are worthwhile for you to move. And you got to make sure you maximize those. So you're going to punt on one of those assets because you want to send a message? Yeah. It's uh it's a it's almost an impossible position. You kind of just have to cross your fingers and hope the team starts playing to its potential. Yeah. Um now on that. One thing, you know, I've heard you and Big talk about on the post game show is the standards have to be higher. So there's a, a bit of a, a narrative coming out of this piece. Um Jim Rutherford mentioned with Ian McIntyre that he liked a lot more of what he saw against Columbus in terms of playing the right way mm-hmm. and more of the habits that lead to winning. Um, 
We just have to get to that point, and I saw it in Columbus where we play with a lot better habits. J.T. Miller in Patrick Johnston's article today uh, of the Morning Skate uh, said, you know, if we play, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but uh, if we play a lot of games like we did in Columbus, we'll come out on the right side of them. And, and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, Zat, like, I, I, don't, I didn't, uh, did I watch a different game? Uh, I, I don't think they played all that well against a, a Columbus team that I don't view as one that's very strong this year. I know as the second half of the back-to-back and all these different excuses you can you can use, but you're sort of talking about a game in a in a way that you feel really good about it, and I'm not sure you should feel all that good about yeah. the way they played the other night in Columbus. But what has a coach done up until the Columbus game? Been very critical of the performances. Yeah. Be very critical of what's going on. He called their defensive play horrible in behind the bench the other day uh, before the Columbus game. Yeah, and you know he singled out players. He benched Garland. He had them back skated before the back to back and all that sort of stuff. So, so clearly he's been cracking the whip. And after playing all of those cards, what did the Canucks do? They picked up one point. Yeah. So what are you going to do? You're going to go play another, you know, um, strict card here play and play another you, tough love card. Really? I mean, crack the whip one more time. How, how effective has, has that been? I think now it's more about okay, you guys got a point. Hey, let's build on the positives. Let let's 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 build on this. Let's let's get out of this negativity. Hey, now you need a pat on the back because as when the kick in the ass doesn't work, the pat on the back needs to come in. And I think that's what it is more than anything else. And I think what JT is doing is essentially staying on message. And I'm sure they pointed out a lot of things they liked in video sessions about like hey, here are some things we've been talking about. You're doing this well or whatever, whatever. And those are the things they're focusing on. But to your point, we saw a lot of the bad habits as well in that game. So when I hear that message, I think that's more about how you're trying to get the guys going and trying to make sure that they're emotionally stable heading into the game more than anything. Trying to keep the mood uh, as positive as possible when you're really going through it right now. You've made NHL history in all the wrong ways. Yeah, I mean, is anybody in the media giving them a break right now? No. Right? So, I mean, like you're getting it from everywhere. Yeah. So who's going to you know give you a pat on the back if the coach isn't going to do it at this point? Uh, So like I get it. Some of it is just hockey speak and I shouldn't get too riled up about it. But um, this team is, as we talked about on yesterday's show and and I I suggest our listeners go back and listen to it if they haven't with Kevin Woodley on the podcast. But you know, a lot of what we've seen through these first few games isn't all that great. You know, they've had stretches in games where they've looked good, but in the overall, they are still getting outchanced. For the most part, they are still having a tough time creating a ton of chances. And that's worrisome given some of the offensive talent on this team. They've scored goals, but think about go through all the goals they've scored and wonder, you know, should the goalie have made that save? And there's a few of them, right? You think about Miller's goal on Jack Campbell. That should have been a save. Uh, Carter Hart, the two early goals they scored there. I think both of those. You know, Carter would probably like to have. You can look at a lot of the goals that they've scored and really not be enamored with how they went about scoring them because it was a goalie looking at one that he'd probably rather have back. So there's a lot here. Like, yeah, they feel close. They've built leads in games. You can take some positives from that. But there's still a lot that they need to improve on, even more than just the defensive habits. That they've displayed so far. Yeah, uh, exactly. But you can't improve everything overnight. No. So you focus in on a few things you can, try to get some results, and you're trying to piece it together. I mean, you're already in, into like salvage mode right now. 
Yeah. You know, you're trying to stem Which the bleeding. Which scary, four games into the season. But, hey, but it's the reality. And, you know, somebody texted Brian from Richmond, did the numbers, and he's like, guys, it's not just probably five straight losses. It's 10 points. 10 out of, 10 out, 10 out of 100 is easy math. It's 10% of the needed points to get into the playoffs. That's why it's alarming. And, yeah, listen, you're going to have those stretches at any point in the season. You have it to begin the year. You behind you start the year behind the eight ball. Yeah, and that's one thing uh, Rutherford mentioned as well. It's, it's like harder when when you've got nothing on the board. It makes it that much more like it magnifies it that much more. Yeah, and it make it makes it seem a lot worse. But hey, you're five game winning streak from it changing, right? But if you lose again, then you need a five game winning streak. You lose yeah. the next game, that means you need a six game winning streak. At some point, you get to the same point we were at last year. Remember the discussions we had? We were like, okay, listen, yeah, it's only ten games, twelve games into the season, but now you're seven games under 500. Now you're eight games under 500. We got to a point where it's like they got to win eight in a row just to get two games within two games of 500. You yeah. got to win like 10 in a row to get to 500. So when you get to that point, that means you got to go on, on a run just to get yourself above water. And that's what becomes so difficult about it. And then the pressure is on like you saw last year. It's uh, it, it's kind of what happened when, when Boudreaux came in. They needed an eight-game win streak to get back to 500, and they did. Hey, here's an eight-game win streak. As unlikely as it seemed at the time that that would happen, but it did. And they played pretty well for most of that. Uh, more coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Jason and South Ann, maybe Bruce needs to introduce a new WWE team belt to get them going. Fair point to build on positive. <laughs> yeah, maybe he does. I mean, Bruce played a lot of cards last year when yeah. he came in, trying to get them into the postseason. We focused a lot on uh, the cards they've played early on this season, but uh, you kind of touched on this yesterday. Bruce did everything he could to just milk every extra inch out of that roster last yeah, season. and that team was maxed out on its effort, essentially. There was a couple of dips here and there, but essentially maxed out for 57 games, and they did everything humanly possible to see if they can get into the postseason. Yeah. And you didn't make it, which is, hey, listen, it was always going to be an impossible task to do it, and it was impressive they got as close as they did, and that's why it was, you know, people fell in love with Boudreaux and what he's done. It's, it's, it's a tough spot. All of a sudden, because now you're looking for some answers. You don't want to go back to the same things you said last year and use a lot of cards last year. And you see the pressure on Boudreaux already. You know, you, you see it in how oh, he he's, feels. He's wearing it, man. Yeah. And coaches always wear it when you lose, especially yeah. when you start off this way. These guys need to win in the worst, worst way. You know, because like we can sit here and talk about all this and that. This yeah. you need to do better. That you got to do better. And it's just like Yannick mentioned. At this stage, all you got to do is get a win. Uh, Rhino, who says no Brock Besser and Jack Rathbone for Matt Boldy and Kalen Addison? <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> I mean, Minnesota's not giving up that cheap ticket on uh, on no. Matt Boldy. And, uh, I mean, Kalen Addison, you know, maybe you're not as high on him or whatever, but Matt Boldy's yeah. is a legit talent on an entry-level contract. <sighs> he looks really, really good. Uh, one player to watch tonight, for sure. Uh, final one from the Dunbar Lumber text line, our live listeners, Rob and Victoria. Uh, do you think the Garland scratch was just feeler for GMs out there? No, and, and I mentioned this yesterday too. Um, I don't get the sense at all that the Garland scratch had anything to do with management. It was like strictly a coach's decision. And if I had to guess, I, I would guess that management wouldn't have been too happy with it, with the scratch. Yeah. Because when you're scratching a guy making a lot of money with a guy that, not to say you're trying to trade, but you've been open to, yeah. 
it, it, it puts a little dent in right early in the season on it, right? So I would imagine it's not a decision that management w- would want to make at this point, especially when he hasn't been, like if he had been the worst player and they're like 15 games in or something or whatever, I don't think management would have wanted to do that at this stage. Uh, Garland was 33rd in the league in five-on-five scoring last year, raw mm-hmm. points. Uh, he was right there with JT Miller as uh, the top point getter at five-on-five with the Vancouver Canucks. The player would have value, but not as much as some people might think based on his offensive output. Uh, I'd say that. Yeah. We kind of discussed this last year, Sat, when the rumors were, were really floating. The, the thing about Garland and, and the scratch, like I didn't love it. I think there's other players on the roster that you would scratch before Garland but Bruce made mention of this again today like it was there's uh, there was five or six guys I could have scratched I chose Garland the message was sent he's back in the lineup tonight so so it was a coach's decision but at the same time it was about sending a message to some of the poor play we'd seen in the first couple of games Dan Richo Satyar Shah coming up Vic Nazar, you hear him on Canuck Central Postgame and The People Show. He'll join us, a bit of a roundtable discussion. How much should we worry about JT Miller's play early on this season? That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. It's uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, and uh, Bic Nazar joining us uh, in studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We are also brought to you by Grip Auto Entire, quality service you can trust, and 14 locations to serve you. Uh, Bic Nazar, you hear him on the, the People Show in Canuck Central postgame. What's going on? It's been a totally normal first week of the NHL season. Right? I came to hang out with the TV stars. What's yes. up? What's up? No, you're not on camera. Stop waving. Then what did I come in studio for? <laughs> what are you guys going to tell my family that's watching TV oh, right now? Apologies. I told them. I was like, I'm going to be on Connect Central. Hey, I just see a bald guy with glasses on TV. Did you get glasses? <laughs> no, that's not me. That's Tim McCallum. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess the video of Kenny Smith's a bit grainy, so you could be, oh, mis- yeah, you could be. think it's big. Kenny's wearing a hoodie right yeah, now. He's a little yeah, grainy. Yeah, it could be. Off. It could be like just hundred percent. Just tell him you're talking basketball. <laughs> yeah, man. Strange first week of the season. Well, like it, it's weird. Like not only have the first four games been a repeat of each other with the way they give up the leads. Go listen to any one of the pods. You'll have listened to all four. <laughs> but also, like. I was what did you say about Seahawks games? <laughs> yeah. Every Seahawks game is different. Every Seahawks game Every is the Canucks same. post-game show is different. Every Canucks post-game show is the and, same. And credit to uh, 650 listeners, yeah. people that follow me and Canucks fans. They've started tagging me in <laughs> every Canucks game is the same. Every Canucks game is different. Yes. It's, it's, it's what's happening. Yeah. And, and also every start to the season yeah. is the same. Every start to the season is different. Yeah, like this is... It's the rerun three three seasons in a row. Like the main core of the group is is here and underwhelming to start a season as if they were unprepared from the get-go. Like, that's that's got to be one of the most frustrating parts for me is, like, why do I expect different results yeah. when it's the same thing every time around? And, 
like I saw Jim Rutherford's comments today, and yeah. I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was essentially this, like he wasn't surprised mm-hmm. at what's happened here. And it was kind of a worry that I had coming into the season that like I, I think they're going to be competitive. Like they will have a winning streak at some point at everyone. Mm-hmm. But just let, let's remember that. There will be a winning streak at some point. But I had a big fear that coming into the season, we'd see stretches where they're 8-2 and two, and they're 2-8. and eight. Yeah. Then they're seven and three, and then they're three is seven. There just won't be a stretch where they're five and five. Mm-hmm. And on, like that's a big fear because what happens in those two and eight stretches is you've got to work yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, we see this group that we say, "Hey, what a great game!" But it's a great game when you're eight and seventeen to start the year. Yeah. It's like it's it's. it's doesn't resonate as much when forget backs against the wall like the wall is tipped over you've got to pick yourself up build the wall up again and then be back against the wall and right now they're in that two and eight stretch that at some point they've got to get out of it but i just feel like this is what's going to happen all this year we're just going to have volatile stretches of the season they're a volatile team yeah so that's what we're going to see even even during at their best they're at their hot streak team, cold streak team. Their confidence can go really high, and their confidence can go really low. We saw it in 2019, 2020, and that was with guys like Markstrom, there too, and Tanev, and a bunch of veterans, and they still were hot and cold. And the question really comes down to how many of these individual players do you want to bet on after the season? Like, we're going to get to a point, if they don't start winning games, where the assessment just becomes who's going to, who should be here and sh- who shouldn't be here. Yeah. And that already started for a lot of fans, and I think for management as well. well I think that started last December. Well, of course. But now you're at a point where it's like, if that's your only assessment of the season, if you keep losing? Well, the par- part of that problem was we thought you know they would use the first four months uh, on the job to figure out some of these questions, and they haven't moved off of anything. Okay, let me post something to you guys. And I think we're just as big a culprits as this as anybody, but I, I, I think fans do this as well. Do we talk out of both sides of our mouth too much? Where mm. we say like, hey, Jim Benning crafted this roster and the players weren't good enough and we say that. And then on the other hand, we say, but how come they couldn't change anything? Well, if the players aren't good enough, what are we expecting the change to be? Well, ex- yeah. well, I mean, and, 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 and what's the demand on the trade market for some of these players if we're all recognizing that the players aren't good enough? 100%. Now, the point that I've been making, and I've been saying this for a while, like, you got to wait out this even before this losing streak. It was like you got to get through this year, and then yeah. all of a sudden, we've been talking about it a lot, Vic and Dan, about Myers, Pearson contracts. You can start moving next year, and how things will change with the cap going up. Like in a year's time, but even go higher up the roster set for like sure. Brock Besser, oh, Connor Garland, exactly. But the flexibility is coming in about a year's time. But where I think it's fair to question is because management itself and Rutherford himself and Alvin came out and said they have to make some tough decisions. They have to improve the defense. And then they came out and said, we failed to improve the defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, they came out and set a pretty high bar of expectation for change and that they were going to go and be aggressive to to ensure that change happens, and they weren't able to do it. So when you set out, when you publicly say you're going to do something and you don't deliver on it, and yeah, they gave themselves out and didn't promise anything, but they said pretty aggressively, we need change, we got to improve the defense, that's what we're going to do. And then at the end of the offseason said, we weren't able to do as much as we wanted to do. So I think when you come out and say that, then it's fair to critique it because you didn't mm-hmm. you didn't accomplish the goal you set out to accomplish in one year's time. That doesn't mean your tenure is going to be a failure. That doesn't mean you can't figure it out later. But the immediacy is there fairly because you set it set it set the standard yourself. There, there's going to be a point though where you have to change the valuation of your players. Like yeah. if you're valuing them too high. 
to a point where you're not able to move them. You can't just like be, okay, well, we, we couldn't move JT Miller for the package we thought he was worth. Let's give him 56 million what? bucks. You can't do the same thing with Bo Horvat. Give him the, the contract he wants. Like money's going to run out. And at some point, you if you realize this core is not good enough and you're not doing anything to change it, that's on you more than it is anybody else. Sometimes change has to come for the sake of change. If it hasn't already, I still think it has to come at some point. But here's the thing that's like they have the benefit of time. Yeah. They're nine months into this. Uh, don't check my math on this. Is it nine months? Ten yeah. months? They're they're barely a year into this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have the benefit of time to go through this and say, we're not going to panic, do anything. I don't like the Jason Dickinson move. I can understand why you do it. But that's really the only one where I look at and say, wow, they really tried to accelerate something. Yeah. Well, they, as much as anything, they made like they made the Dickinson move. Like if you look back at it now and and really assess the situation, they did it so that they could be cap compliant for the start of the season, more or less, and so they could have enough skaters to start the season yeah. too. And I mean, hey, not to say that you couldn't have held on to him, but if you really wanted to clear your cap situation before the season, you kind of had to do something if you wanted to be able to maximize LTIR as well. But that kind of goes to the point. Then is like, look what was built here. And look what they had to recover from. Yeah. And they get the benefit of time to say, hey, we just started on the job. Give us 18 months. Once the, the value point of some of these contracts starts to incrementally go higher, once you pay the signing bonus on a Tyler Myers, but it's leveraged against the fans' patience, some of which who have been screaming for seven years to say, this isn't going to work. Yeah. And for those people that have been there saying that for six, seven, eight years, mm-hmm. I I think it's a tough sell to keep going and be like, hey, just wait. Yeah. Just wait. We're the new ones on the regime. We're going to try to do things pro- properly. But then what they see in the meantime to get to that inflection point of Tyler Myers' value getting to a point is a second rounder going out for Jason Dickinson. It's tough. It just it, it just builds upon itself, and you can't keep making the same mistakes. And I guess that's why sat, they don't say things like, oh, we're going to do this because we get to sit here then say on, on September and say, well, you didn't yeah. do it by yeah. your timeline. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, it, it's felt like they implied a lot of change. They did. And listen, hey, you come into a situation and you want to make change. And yeah. I mentioned this too when Mike Gillis came in. Remember, he, he had a lot of similar things to say, right? You know, you have to make a lot of bold moves, a lot of changes. They made some changes, but they kept the core essentially, added a few pieces, but it was essentially the same group. They just added to it, yeah. right? So we hear this a lot, and then people come into the role, and they're like, okay, well, it's a lot more difficult to make the moves you're looking to make. But one thing that makes this so much harder, and this is, we talked about this on the postgame show, about you're punting on certain decisions into the future. Yep. That means you got to play defense this year. You can't get scored on. Yeah. So if you get scored on, that punt doesn't matter, right? You, you may as well golf. You may as well have gone for it on fourth down. Why are you punting? Like figure yeah. it out. You, you know what keep I mean? Muffing the punt. Yeah. So so if you start winning enough games, though, if you start getting back into the race, it doesn't matter because this year's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be your finished product. What they were banking on, and I think they're still banking on, is that you get it competitive enough that your guys look interesting enough around the league. The fans are engaged. Maybe you make the playoffs. Maybe you build some momentum, and then you can make the changes. But when you're not winning any games, and you're sitting last in your division, and you got a bunch of historical Sh- numbers, sharks are worse. Okay, and I'll yes, just sorry. facts only. Sorry, they have a single point. I'm sorry, not zeros <laughs> across the board. They've just been number one in setting records. That's yes. all. But when when those are the things kind of going on, right? So I think that's what they need. They need some victories. And this year, not to say you're trying to you know feed uh, fans a crap sandwich. But I think the hope was just be competitive enough to have fans engaged 
And then in a year's time, we buy ourselves enough time to do the things we want to do. So, yeah, sorry. Just, just, just to your point, the the credit, the credibility and the trust of the management group should not already be in question. Yeah. And to your point, it's like, hey, just buy us some wins here to give us some time to try to do the job properly. And because of this losing streak, it's accelerated fans' judgment and evaluation of this management group, which yeah. I think is unfair. But I can understand fans already saying, well, this is what you said now, and now we're o three and one. How come it's yeah. not coming to fruition? Well, there's uh, a lot of scars left from the last management group. Yeah, yeah, and, and how how things were run. Those ghosts are always hanging over you. And I think Dennis makes a good point too on the text inbox from Langley. They also keep preaching how they might have to take a step back to take two steps forward, but then said they also want to make the playoffs. And every move they made this offseason was about bettering the roster. It wasn't about taking a step back. They did not take a step back this no. year. So it's not to say that they're talking out of both sides of their mouths or whatever, and I'm not holding everything they're saying against them. But when we're trying to judge what they're doing and evaluate what they're doing, and we're trying to juxtapose that to what they've said and what they've done, I think it's a fair eval- It's fair to point out, hey, you, you guys haven't done the things you guys wanted to do that you said you wanted to do pretty soon. Now, the reality of the real world is it's hard to make trades and things come up and there's so many challenges in front of you, but you got to start finding out some answers and you have this year to figure it out. But eventually, you got to figure it out. So the big bet they made is on JT Miller. And it's been a not very good start to the season. There's one player in the league who's been on the ice for more goals against than JT Miller so far. It's uh, Dmitry Kulikov in Anaheim. They've played about the same amount of minutes. Uh, 13 goals uh, for uh, Kulikov, 12 against And they just JT. traded for him, too, in, late yeah. in the summer, didn't they? They did. Uh, the Canucks are the only th- like Canucks also have Quinn Hughes there, who's given up uh, eleven goals against at uh, at all strengths. So your two best players from last season have uh, really had a tough start defensively so far this season. I think there's Sat and I have talked about the reasons Quinn Hughes might be off to a slow start. They're really uh, overusing him, and the injuries and the well, the broken nose and the flu uh, kind of piled on each other, but. Anybody who did not love the JT Miller contract in the summer is having a field day right now of like, look, it's already an albatross of a contract and it hasn't even kicked in yet. Yeah. Um, uh, How much is fair to worry about the way JT has played so far? Well, he's not outscoring his problems. That's the first thing. Yes. Uh, Which he did very well last year. Yeah. Some of the defensive stuff is... Bad luck. Like, the one popping off his stick. In Philly. In Philly. With two, like, the, the things that are happening around him, too. I, I'm not trying to defend him because there's other clips that haven't gone in where he's standing still. He yeah. has not been good yet. And, and look, it just he hasn't been good. Flat out. But it's <laughs> like also about... No other way to put it. It's also about, let's blame him for the things he's doing wrong. Yeah. Let's not blame him for the things he's not doing wrong. That's not his fault. And that's not to say that he's not at fault. We're sitting here criticizing yeah. his play, but some goals people say it's his fault and it's not. The Danforth goal last game. Yeah. Gavrikov comes in on the point, and Kuzmenko just, like, lets him walk in. I know JT's standing still in the middle of the ice, but I thought we all knew that, like, wingers take care of demon. Yeah. And so the puck goes from that because Gavrikov is going to the net, and Danforth is the one that bats it in. Horvat saves JT Miller on the Mm three-on-three because Miller's – and so that one doesn't go in, but, like, that one's a problem. The the penalty kill is – Awful right now. Curtis Lazar is not winning faceoffs. Zero for six in yeah. the dots. So yeah, yeah, yeah. On like, the PK, Tanner Pearson is is zero for one. 
And yeah. they look the exact same. Yeah. And so some of these, like the D'Angelo one, that's off of a face-off yeah. that Curtis Lazar loses. Uh, the the McDavid one, yeah. the, the tic-tac-toe, that's off of a, a Lazar face-off. Uh, there's one more as well off of a Lazar face-off. Five, have- five of the six goals have come off it, within the first 20 seconds of yeah. a power yeah. play starting. And they're all essentially face-off losses. And, and Curtis Lazar was brought here to be right-handed, penalty-killing, face-off winner. Yeah. Well, he's like a career 47, 48% yeah. Yeah. win. It's, and like, it's like Jason Dickinson last year all yeah. over again. Now, now, like, Zars played a lot yeah, better he's than better that. In the right he's not circle. facing criticism right, yeah. because he makes a million and not 2.35 like yeah. Jason Dickinson was. Um, did I get that right? 265. Yeah, 265. Uh, so that's different. And so it, it gets viewed as JT. It's like, you shouldn't be on the penalty kill, which is a fair statement. But Curtis Lazar is not doing his job either. No. And in eight seconds, in 15 seconds, how much can one person influence a penalty kill? When it starts off of just winning the draw. Yeah. They can't get... Like, forget even keeping the puck out of the net on the PK. We haven't even seen them winning the draw very much. No. I think they've won... uh, There's a piece up at Sportsnet right now. They say they've won three draws on the penalty kill so far this season. Yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) Three, uh, Three seems high. And on one of the wins, they didn't get the immediate clear either, so... I think that's the uh, the dry sidle goal yes. that JT wins, yes. and he goes to the corner, yeah. and then Queen Hughes gets the high stick and all that. That's <laughs> that's the play. It's it's crazy. Like when you go through it in in your head. Um, so th- this just sort of is JT though, right? Mm-hmm. Like he goes through, and and last year he went on the fifty seven game stretch where he was a dominant player. And we saw all of the best traits of JT, but he has been prone to stretches in his Canucks career where he just kind of dips out of it. And you don't see the same level of engagement, the same level of attention to detail, the same uh, intensity that he brings uh, so often on a nightly basis. It kind of feels lackadaisical at times when he's, when he's playing as he is right now. At least the way yeah. the way it feels how he's playing compared to how he was at the end of last year. Yeah, I mean, when he's the type of guy though, when things are going well, yeah, he he looks on, and when mm-hmm. things are going poorly, he wears it poorly, and that's why my biggest question about the team is, who do you have that can that can level him? Mm-hmm. Is there a coach? Is there somebody in the organization? Is there another player? And I'm not trying to say he's a guy you can't work with. My point here is, like, you ha- it's not necessarily a bad thing to have guys like that because, like, there's a lot of emotion. That's why they brought him back and everything like that. But do you have someone that can help him channel the right way? Yeah. And does that need to be somebody with guidance? Does that need to be somebody who checks them? Does it need to be somebody who stands up? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not in that room. But one thing that's very clear is the same swings keep happening with them. And nothing's being done to change it. It's like they don't really have an emotional compass. I was going to say moral yeah, compass, that's good but that's not it. true. But you know, just someone to kind of settle s- things down, steer the tempo yeah. of the direction of the team. And you know, Tanner Pearson, Bo Horvat, some guys. Like I know it always goes to to Bo because he wears the C. But just in general, um, well, it's got to be Petey and Hughes at some point. Yeah, and 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 that was the thing I advocated for when when like Mark Sherman Tanev left. It's like, okay, this is the opportunity. It might take longer. It's definitely taking longer than I thought, than people want. But it's got to be those guys that have to grow up into big roles. 
to be the steady coming force. And I think we're seeing it. We saw it last year, at least from Quinn Hughes, who's much yeah. better. And we're seeing it this year from Elias Pettersson, who's part of, what, four or five players that are above reproach so far this season. Mm-hmm. That's really about it. But in general, it, 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 like the, the, the swings that we talked about of being that 2-8, and 8-2 eight, eight and two team, who's there to try to correct that and say, let's settle this down? Yeah. And whether it's follow my standard, whether it's – I think it has to be more vocal because I think – Bo, by and large, does the follow my standard thing, yeah. which is fine. Like, by example. Yeah, like you are who you are. I'm and not Pedersen's saying he's got to be something. Like, obviously, I'm not in the room, but he seems like that more of that guy than type. he is a yeah. uh, a vocal type. Right? If they just need someone to just – I was talking to Yannick yesterday. Yeah. And it was very much like the players-only meeting is more about accountability than anything. If that's what's missing, though, okay, that's what's missing. So uh, there was an interesting quote out of the uh, province today in PJ's uh, game day article from Brock Besser talking about Pedersen. Uh, he's just picking up where he left off last year. We all know what he can do. I think he's trying to prove that out there he's been a leader for us and he wants to be that guy. So you see the steps he's taken and we've got to help him. I need to score with him so we can get a win. Brock obviously feeling it with his start to the season as well. Mm-hmm. But I-, I think that alludes to... Maybe the biggest positive from the first four games is how quickly Pedersen has emerged as like, no, no, I'm, I'm the best forward on this team. And it took until the fourth game for Brudro to treat it like that and for him to change the usage to play in that way. You know, we saw Miller get dropped down in ice time uh, in, in Columbus mm-hmm. and Pedersen was, I think, the lead of the three big centermen. So, you know, it... It feels like he's already ascended. If you are looking for positives out of these first four games, it's yeah, Pedersen is is becoming or is that guy to this team. He he from day one, he's been the guy who set the highest standard. The question is, he was the one guy that was really given it in preseason. Yeah. Now, why? Are, who falls in line? Who follows yeah. along? And yeah. why aren't? Why don't some? Or whatever it is. Listen, we don't know exactly. All I know is the one constant effort-wise from day one of the preseason, game one of the preseason until now when he's played, has been Elias Pettersson. He's made mistakes. He hasn't been perfect. But you cannot fault his effort at any point. Which is really alarming. Not on Pettersson. Because last year, he struggled. And generally speaking, I would say when your star player is going, everyone else falls in line. Yeah. When when, when everyone can look at the guy that... Players are smart. When, when they know someone's uber-talented and they all know he's talented, and when he's going, they'll all fire along with him. Last season, he wasn't. And there was other players that were, JT Miller, Bo Horvat was earlier on in the season, and the rest of the team was kind of sluggish. And now here's your star player going. How come this keeps manifesting where a bunch of other players don't see, recognize, oh, this guy's going, I got to step up. It, it's It's like that logical obstacle i can't overcome and yeah. I, I i keep coming we keep coming back to the same spot that this probably isn't the group as much as it hurts for people to hear about stanley cup when i say isn't the group i'm talking about stanley cup yeah they can maybe make the playoffs they can maybe even win around that was my expectation of what this group can do but they should make the playoffs yeah i don't care i mean like you're still, capped they out make the they should make the playoffs this year the expectation should be you make the playoffs they went on and added to the roster you know, like, hey, if they if they didn't add to the roster and came back with the exact same group and said, hey, 
we're just going to take it easy because we're trying to do things and we're going to have a little flexibility. Then you can look at it and say, okay, they're not really putting their best foot forward. Are they really trying to make the playoffs? Then maybe that shouldn't be the expectation. When you go out and add Mikheyev, bring in Kuzmenko, you sign Lazar. If they just brought in Kuzmenko and and Lazar, I wouldn't be you know all right. that all that upset about it. But the the, the Mikheyev signing is the, the one JT that's signing. like and the JT and, and the JT yeah. commitment is and, where you know they. They sort of put a, a bit of a stamp on this roster. Well, well, and no, I mean, yeah, for sure, a bit of a stamp. But also, you set the expectation. You set, yeah. you set, you set the bar to be the playoffs this year. Yeah, the you players know? themselves, like Thatcher Demko, corrected himself. The coach. Like, oh, if we make the playoffs, when we make the playoffs, that's that's literally what happened. Their expectation is to go to the playoffs, and they wanted to be judged off the start of the season. Yeah, and it really hasn't been good enough. And once we see transactions, I imagine that'll be a better indicator of okay, we have a better understanding of. Who didn't follow traditional markers of your best player going? I got to go to. Yeah. Well, I want to get the couple of points in because Curtis and T Town sent it in, and so was Rager. He says, I sorry to disagree with Bick. This should have been the group, but the previous years of mismanagement and supporting this core has messed everything up. And Curtis and T Town says, This is just frustrating because it feels like it's just a damn owner. He's the constant in all of this, and we have the same problem. So I think the, I think the frustration here is a lot too is that you had the right core, or we felt like that was the right core. But you guys didn't invest when you needed to invest in the core. And that was coming off the bubble year. Didn't have the ambition, which we talked about. Hey, listen, it's the pandemic. Everybody's dealing, suffering financially. But you had a way to keep some of those guys and build them what you had. And you decided to punt. Right? I'd say this about the bubble year, too. They played park the bus hockey in round two. 100%. No, no, for sure. But I'm saying as far as organization. Isn't that your favorite style of hockey, though, Bick? (laughs) No, not that level of defense. No, but (laughs) the thing is, when when your ambition has waned with the group as well, have you, I want to say necessarily poisoned the well, but have you mismanaged yeah. the group so much that you have to change? And I think that's the point Rager is it, making. It, it's a great point, and it was it's something I was thinking about today. That at some yeah. point, do you just say, "Hey, the rot is too deep, and let's just cut it off and start anew"? That's it, it's fine if people want to disagree on where they were on their timeline, and if this was the group. But if we can sit here, it, it's it's the same conversation we had last post game. I think it was Mike and Surrey calling in, and, and just wanting to assign blame. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we can assign blame, but how do you solve this problem? And if at this point you just say, cut it off, start anew, I think unless something drastically happens, and I'm I'm talking better than the 57-game sample, yeah, significantly drastic something happens, uh, I, I just think that's the way. Uh, Bick, uh, we'll hear you on the postgame tonight. Thanks for say this. Say hi to Cheech. That's uh, the uh, Canuck Central Triangle, we'll call it. Triangle? It's not, like it's not a round table. I like triangle? that. <laughs> triangle. Central triangle. <laughs> Tripod. All right. Get the sales team to sell it. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, all right. It's not happening. Uh, it's Canuck <laughs> wow. Central. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Sports at 650.